0: Join me, Christine Weinbrenner-Eyrich, for soulful conversations with my community of travelers, exploring the heart, the mind, and the globe. We might all agree that we are missing travel right now. These conversations highlight what tourism really means for the world. Soul of Travel honors the passion and dedication of the people making a positive impact in tourism. In each episode, you'll hear the story of industry professionals and seasoned travelers who know travel is more than a vacation. It is an opportunity for personal awareness and it is a vehicle for change. We are thought leaders, action takers, and heart-centered change makers. This is the Soul of Travel. Brianna Faye McNeil has allowed travel to become a vehicle to connect her with artisans, primarily in India, Vietnam, and Nepal, but she has traveled to many parts of the world. She focuses on creating impact in communities through ethical and sustainable products. She is currently the product and supply chain manager for the Earthling Co. as a part of their team working to ensure total supply chain transparency making sure all of their ingredients are sourced ethically. Brie is also the founder of Shanae with Love, an ethically curated boutique, as well as a sustainability blogger, and you can find both of those at shanaewithlove.com. In our conversation, we talk about how to know if you are actually supporting local artisans when you travel, understanding the value of handmade or ethically made goods, and how to understand labels on products in order to know you are shopping in alignment with your values. Bree shares that she has always loved finding one-of-a-kind gifts or souvenirs during her travels as a meaningful way to honor the experience you have in a destination. Buying handicrafts and goods from local artisans is a great way to celebrate your journey. We also talk about how being a responsible traveler doesn't have to be limited to your commonly thought of modes of transportation, carbon offsetting, or wildlife conservation. Another way you can create a positive impact is by supporting the local economy and community by directly supporting local artisans. This allows your tourism dollar to stay in the hands of people at your destination so that they can benefit from your tourism. We are both so passionate about connecting with and supporting artisans as we travel, and I really enjoy talking to a kindred spirit. Join me now for my soulful conversation with Brie McNeil. Good morning, welcome to Soul of Travel excited today to be sitting down with Brianna Fay to be talking about um, something that's really near and dear to my heart, which is um, how we can tie being a conscious consumer and supporting artisans when we travel with our travel experiences and how that adds a depth and more meaning to our travel experiences themselves. So as we get started, I am going to actually just turn it over to you and let you introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background in the space of fair trade and artisans and travel.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Bree. And yeah, I've been in this space for or since I was 17. I've always been really interested. And, and travel and and also just how we can be like more ethical with how we are, how we're shopping and how we're just interacting with different, um, you know, our capitalism <laughs> in the US. So um, I think, yeah, when I was 17, I did my first trip internationally to Guatemala. And not only did I fall in love with travel and, and learning, being fully immersed in a different um, community and culture, but also seeing the, you know, you know, good impacts and also not so good impacts of globalization there. Um, so then I started to study fair trade um, even when I was in high school and then going into college, I studied international development. So it's really been, you know, I fell in love and I never look back and um, it's definitely been a fun journey to see how the, how the industry has grown, how consumers are being more conscious um, with their purchases. But I also think it's really great to have this space here to talk about how we can be more conscious, even when we're traveling and interacting with different communities, you know, when we're when we're visiting them. Um, so, yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while and I'm excited to dig in.
0: Excellent. Um, I I love how um, it just like how the travel experience piqued your interest and then your education fell in line and how you have been able to continue to build on that passion and make it really your purpose. And um, because it is something that you love so much, it really comes across in how you speak about this work. Um, For listeners who are maybe not familiar with terms like fair trade, for instance, um, I know that is... A lot of where these conversations actually are difficult out of the gate is because there are so many labels and terms and things when people are looking at shopping in a more conscious way, they m- might get bogged down, not even knowing what things mean. And so maybe that would be a great place to start. is just to kind of lay a foundation in um, what fair trade means and and any other terms that you think would be helpful to clarify.
1: Absolutely. And um, yeah, I definitely run, I ran into this myself Um, when I used to, I used to work at Noonday Collection, which is a fair trade jewelry company. And I, you know, still having that passion, I wanted to like express all of my knowledge to our customers and everything like that. So I started a blog. It was called Ethically Curated. Now it's uh, Shanae with Love. Um, But at the start of it, yeah, I was... I was struggling to make sure that I was keeping up with the verbiage correctly and and clearly stating everything. So I started there. Um I think some of the three biggest words that I tend to use are ethical, sustainable, and fair trade. Um and I personally like the word ethical as kind of an overarching idea of what our how we are applying our values to how we shop. Um so it could be. Ethical can range anything from how um, employees and artisans are treated from when they're making the product, they're paid fairly, it's all encompassing there. Also being eco-friendly, environmentally conscious, um, it's encompassing pretty much anything that you would apply your values to when shopping. Um, So I like to use that as a broader term just when we're speaking of that we are actually being thoughtful about our purchases. Um, Sustainability, to me is, is another bigger overarching term that does lean more to the environmental side. Um, but that can be anything from like a sustainable supply chain that you're making sure you're getting um, product in regularly. It's also going back to the materials used for a certain product is that being um, upcycled or you know sourced sustainably that is not harmful to the environment. Um, Again, it's a general term, but it can encompass quite a few things. And fair trade to me is one of the more specific ones um, because the World Fair Trade Organization, WFTO, has actually set up standards for it. Um, There's also a handful of different organizations for fair trade. I like to follow WFTO because that is an international organization. And I've worked with a handful of companies that – that practice that. But the biggest things with fair trade um, is they're making sure that all of their employees are paid fairly. Um, you're not gonna find, it'll be very hard to find a $4 t-shirt that is made fair trade. Um, but to me, even seeing, because there's a certification, seeing um, you know that certain sticker from WFTO on a product, at least lets me know that everyone was paid what they were, what they were do in the making of the product. I'm getting a fair price for the product. And it also helps me just like value it more and understand that actual like love and care went into this product. Um, so yeah, that's how I like to look at the terms. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of other ones that we could go through, but, um, I think, yeah, it's especially with um, greenwashing, I don't know if there's a term in terms of like ethical washing, Um, but um, I think seeing just like something saying strictly ethical or strictly sustainable, you have to dig in a little bit more, whereas if there are those certifications, it's kind of almost a guarantee um, that you're getting something that's good.
0: Yeah, and and that process for um, being certified as a fair trade is is quite tedious. So yes. if, if consumers do see that, they can know that 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 organization has been really well vetted, and um, it, it it takes a lot. And it, as you mentioned, um, that they're being fair fairly paid for their wages, um, also that they're in safe working environments. I think that's another thing that is really powerful, especially if you've traveled and you've seen. Um, non-optimal working conditions—you know how important that is—that they're ha- receiving that opportunity as well. Um, and I and you did mention, you know, not being able to purchase a four-dollar T-shirt that's fair trade. I do think that's another um, part of this conversation that comes both when um, when you're traveling and you are looking for like that that perfect souvenir to kind of commemorate your journey and you know we're we're often i think in this culture in such a mindset of getting a great deal and you know bartering and in some cultures it's really it is part of the culture to barter for a product but really actually understanding what the fair market value is whether it's fair trade value or not um i think is so important but maybe um you could walk us through what that means um in terms of the value to the consumer and the value to the person who's producing the good, to know that it is that it's being paid fairly. And I guess to clarify that, like what impact does it make when an artisan receives a living wage for their product versus um, not receiving that wage and then What does that mean for us as a consumer as the type of product that we might be, you know, bringing home and sharing with our friends and family and sharing our journey?
1: I also want to touch a little bit on purchasing overseas and when you're traveling, because when you are like most of my traveling that I've done internationally has I've landed in very small spaces, you know, very small communities. So they don't have they might not have the same type of market access um, as, you know, different brands that we might see here. And with that, um, you're saying that the fair trade um, certification process is very rigorous, and it is also um, quite expensive for smaller groups. So they may not even have that certification. So it's an, when you are traveling, it's an additional, it takes additional work to really verify that you are getting something that um, has been made ethically. Has been made fair. Um, so what I, what I like to do is. Um, oh, and one more thing that I wanted to um, kind of touch on is having going to bigger markets internationally and seeing, you know, there's a wide variety of items. There are multiples of the same item. Um, that to me is a sign that you know the person was not paid fairly. They're not getting that fair wage. What that means is that they are having to produce more. And a lot of times, even though it is something that looks mass-produced to us, it is very time consuming um, and can be hard on the actual artisan making that product. So they're having to work harder for less money. That's some of that money is still going back to the company they're having to, you know, sell it for. And that's not money that they can invest back in their family. That affects their their health, from the food that they can purchase to the medicine they can get, to health additional healthcare access, um, education for their kids. So it all, to me, seeing those low prices means somebody is not getting paid, um, either financially or in those resources that they need. So internationally, seeing low prices and mass produced items is a red flag for me. So I like to go to markets for the experience. um, But I don't necessarily purchase there. I am lucky enough to be able to go, like I said, into these smaller communities actually meet the artisans and see that and to that point, being able to see how proud they are of their work. um, I think most people would be proud of what they are able to produce. Um, You know, like the wooden carvings that I've seen internationally, I'm still like, I don't, I can't imagine how you've actually made this. So for somebody to feel worth in the actual art that they've created and be paid fairly for that, I think that's something that, of course, that artisan is going to feel proud about, but we as consumers can also feel proud that we've made this connection, that we are showcasing this wonderful artistry. And it's not just something that, you know, you could get in any market um, throughout a country. It's something from, you know, a specific individual, whether you had the opportunity to meet them or not. um, It's To me, that's another way that you can just connect with that culture. And when you look at that piece, you remember that experience and you it just elevates the value overall.
0: Yeah, I I think uh, what you're saying, it's so I think not everyone has that opportunity for that one on one connection. But part of why I focus on that with my tours for Lotus Sojourns is because it creates such a powerful tie to the destination and the the opportunity to learn about, like you were saying, like the cultural significance of a product, um, what it represents, the lineage of kind of that craftsmanship, and then really understanding the skill and the complexity in making those products. Because we do. Um, I've been in those markets. I can like, I feel like I can imagine exactly what you're speaking about, where you see so many goods that in our mind, we have to assume that it was mass produced because there's no way we, we just don't create products like that. But you, you do then look and they, you know, they are handmade and they'll talk about where they got them. And, and it's mind boggling how things can be produced in that way. Um, And then on the other end of that is you might then go into um, a smaller kind of, I don't know, boutique is not the quite, Quite the right word, but it's definitely um, less products, higher level goods um, being marketed in a very different way. And it's very expensive. And so then again, there's that Western mindset of like, oh, well, should I be paying this for this when I just saw something in the marketplace and it was $10 and this is a hundred dollars. But it's such a great opportunity to ask the question and create the conversation and start to understand. And I know, um, for instance, when I was in Bali, there's, a um, and I should have brought it to share um, out of my room, but there's this um, fabric that's this double woven um, type of fabric. And so it has the print on both sides and it takes them over a year to make like a table runner because in their culture and this is where like that tie into culture is so important in understanding that they can only um, harvest the product that they make the thread like under a certain moon at a certain season and then they have to get a blessing on a certain day and then they have to create the handmade dye from a seed that's picked on a perfect season has to sit for an amount of time before they make the dye and so that in itself like creates such a long process and then the actual weaving. And then, um, I was so lucky The piece that I picked out, um, they were really excited because she happened to be in the little store that I was in. And, um, so she came over and she told me the story of like every single design that was on it. There was something that looks a little bit like a butterfly and a little bit like the Lotus, which was, I, I was drawn to it. And, um, and then the color, and I got to have a picture with her, you know, showing that this was the work, and she wrote the notes to me about what it meant, and so, you know, I, I knew it would be expensive going in, but I didn't understand that whole process, and so now I do have this piece of art, like, I feel so blessed to have something That tells the story of their culture in that way. And then also in so many places, because it's so tedious, these are becoming lost arts. And so buying directly from these artisans and really understanding that story helps to preserve that and provide a value to them as a culture to keep producing these products. Um, I don't know if you have any experiences to share along those lines, but I know I've seen that over and over where older generations are trying to bring um, younger younger people in their communities and villages into it. And, and it's hard to show them the, the monetary and cultural value of producing the products.
1: Yeah, 100%. And like having that story of specific products again is another way to elevate that value because you you have learned something about it you feel more proud to share it with you know with friends and family and yeah that's just an additional um added value for yourself and um in the past one of my favorite things to do actually when I am Um, trying to source, you know, from a new um, supplier internationally, is really learn about, like, one of the first questions I'll ask is, like, what are, what groups are you working with right now that, that need work? Um, And not necessarily in a charity way, it's to learn, yeah, what are those, what are those crafts that aren't, you know, being elevated, that aren't being uh, sustained right now? Um, One of my favorite groups, and, like, I would say my personal biggest success story. I was in um, Calcutta with a fair trade group there. And how a lot of these groups work is they'll have um, kind of an organization and a specific part, and they will have access to different smaller groups um, throughout the country. Um, And that's just due to infrastructure, again, access to markets, things like that. So they actually train these smaller groups on new design techniques and, and things like that um so they were telling me about a group in west bengal which um consistently has challenges financially just as a community um and then there's additional like weather issues that come up um so they they are continuously in in survival mode in terms of of income and so they they make a nice product or a uh, technique called dokra which is a way to um it's they make their own clay ovens to um, fire brass and they make very intricate jewelry and the way that they put the they make the designs on the jewelry is they actually hand cast everything in wax first so if you ever see anything dokra i know i was like i want to go grab something right now but if you ever see anything like that it's very intricate and each piece was handmade it was handmade out of wax but then they recast it out of brass again it takes it takes several days to make the oven itself for it to sit in that oven, but it's a fully natural process. They're able to recycle everything, reuse any brass that, you know, like falls off of the off of the design whenever they're shaping it. Um, so very tedious, but one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Um, so I was very excited to um work on a jewelry piece with them. And after I think it took 18 months. Um, because I wanted to make sure that we were maintaining the overall look of Dokra and that there there are specific shapes that are used, um, you know, that have cultural significance. But we still wanted to make sure that we elevated it for a Western market so we could still showcase it um, and, you know, let everyone see how beautiful it was. So, yeah, I think it ended up taking about 18 months um, to get it to market. But when we finally did, it was one of our top five jewelry pieces that year. Um, and, um, yeah, I've left that company for now, but, um, they, they're still one of their top producers, that group specifically. Um, but being able, I know, I know even at that time, whenever we did first launch it, I was going around like, but you don't understand They're Like, this is a beautiful necklace. I'm like, yes, but you don't understand because they did this and this and this. And so that, you know, I was excited to share it almost as if I made the piece, but then people who had already loved it, loved it even more because they had that story um so yeah that's I like to have that for you know pretty much every piece of my house and you were speaking about textiles I think textiles are one of the more intricate pieces and I love to you know collect one or two pieces whenever I travel um just because There is so much work that goes into it that might look simple to the untrained eye, but even going down to like how they how they get the dyes for certain things, how, you know, they make the the texture of the fabric a certain way. It's just it's beautiful stories that we like own in our homes and we might not even know, you know, the full extent of them.
0: And I think another piece of that, that is really interesting, especially when you have those interactions with the artisans is they also might think that the, that it's simple because they've done it so much. And I had the opportunity in Guatemala to visit with an artisan group and they were so excited because they do embroidery and weaving and jewelry making, and they wanted to, um, have us sit and talk and embroider together and they were going to do my logo which was a surprise I didn't know they got it and they like drew it out on the fabric and they had it ready and I was traveling with a companion and so they thought she would work with an artisan and do one and I would work with one of the women and do one and we sat down and we started and they were they're probably about this big around the logos and they're like oh yeah we'll get these done in like a couple of hours as we're visiting and we sat down and we started to the The embroidery, and they, they, you could just tell they were looking at us like, Oh, this is going to be impossible. Like, there is no way you're ever going to get this done. And we would start, and then we would like drop the needle, and it would come undone, and we'd have to re thread it, and we'd have to pull something out because then we had the long piece on the wrong side of the fabric. And so, I think one, like, obviously, I super value the craftsmanship that I see in the other work that they were showing me. And two, they really can see that. Um, Not everybody can do this thing that they are lucky to be able to do really well. Um, So I think it's a a really valuable exchange both ways because, um, you know, they just assumed anybody could just do what we were doing. And we were talking about when I want to bring groups back to visit them in the future. And I loved that shared experience but they were like, well, maybe our design should be much, much smaller, like maybe like a quarter. I was like, yeah, we might be able to manage that. And they said, we'll have many more artisans here to help. (laughs) And so it just was like, it was a very humbling experience, but it was also really fun because of like that awkwardness and that um, fumbling. Like we got to be really connected as real people very quickly as well. And so it was, it was really just like, Um, You know, sharing time with your family and trying to learn a skill or uh, I don't know, it just became very real very quickly. And we were talking about our, our children or, you know, school and all these just really real things in a very casual way that made me feel very tied to them. And, you know, by the time we left, they were so welcoming that we had eaten a meal there and she was just like this my house is your house and anytime you're here you're welcome and please you know always come and it just now I have not only that memory but you know I have this beautiful logo that they actually finally did finish and they found me later in my trip in Guatemala and had it catch up to me um but it it just um it's it's just so amazing to be able to appreciate it in that way and like you said, with, um, seeing dyes and textiles too, you know, we, again, because we don't know, we don't, we don't make our own fabrics and we don't make dyes. And we just don't fully understand that process, but to see, you know, big, huge baskets full of different kinds of berries and leaves and nuts, and then see them boiling it down and then see the yarn soaking in, you know, the boiling water. And then to, you know, see, some one woman carding wool over here, and then two kids over here making yarn. Um, it's just amazing to see that whole process. And I love how you use the analogy of like owning the story because it is, it's just like it's the whole story of this culture and the process and the interaction. And um, I think it's just artisan goods are such a magical way to create connection to community.
1: A hundred percent. And I, <laughs> your Guatemala story reminded me of something similar, like something that I would normally think was something easy to do, like blog printing. I made a fool of myself in front of a whole, <laughs> a whole community in, in Northern India, where they had, they had like already done the dyes for us, like did the mixing. All we had to do was just like stamp it in these specific areas that they even like outlined for us. And we, I mean, they gave us the fabric. So it wasn't like we were ruining their production, but I was like, they must think we're fools in here. (laughs) Cause it was just like how they're like, no, obviously you would do it like this. But yeah, to your point, it was like a sense of, um, of pride for them. Like this is a skill. This is, you know, like I am an expert in this. I am an artisan. And so I mean, I would obviously validate that for them and in and, and other ways, but it was great to like physically show them that it's like, no, this is not something that everybody can do. Um, and even to that point, just translating it back to, you know, how we shop in general, um, seeing knowing that like for handmade pieces and that those imperfections come with it. Um, because like like you were saying, dyes are made from natural the products a lot of times, a lot of times it's, yeah, it's a soaked root, um, that was heated up and then cooled for a specific, uh, Pantone. A lot of times it might not translate to exactly what the, you know, Pantone color of the year was, but to have that knowledge, not only it has that story, but it's also, um, like not necessarily giving the product grace, but it's, It's proving to the consumer that it is handmade, that it is special, that it is unique. Um, Perfection is something that we all strive for in different ways that is unobtainable. And I think it's important to remember that it it should be unobtainable in some of the products that we purchase as well. Um, Because even... You know, yeah, like a block print or a screen print or something. Sometimes I see things and I'm like, mm, that's too perfect. I want something a little. <laughs> you know, I want to know that somebody else touched this besides a machine. Um, so it's it's great to take those experiences and and enrich other parts of our lives in them as well. Um, because I think that also makes the the time that we spent internationally more valuable um, you know, in our daily lives and it makes us more excited to travel. Like I definitely am right
0: now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh, um, my grandmother was a quilter and I remember her saying at one point that like, you always need to look for the flaw in the quilt and that's how you know that it was made. And she's like, I think about taking out all the time because she really did want things to be perfect, but she's like that tells the story of the process. And so she's like there, you'll always find in a handmade quilt, the mistake, and that's the beauty in the handmade production. And so I, I always think about that when, like you were saying, when you look at the handmade stuff, that that really that flaw is the like indicator of kind of the magic. Um, when you, as we were talking about artisans, I was really thinking about the importance of Um, not only fair trade and and fair pay and fair value, but really what that means. Because I think, again, if you haven't had that opportunity to travel and experience these connections, it, it sounds all well and good. And it sounds kind of like an idea like, well, of course, I would consider shopping fair trade or buying something environmentally friendly. But if you haven't really connected to what that means, it's not necessarily as clear as how impactful that is. And um, for instance, um, in one of the communities in Guatemala that works with women that are really trying to ensure their daughters are able to go to school um, in in a culture where they most of times would never get past you know higher elementary maybe a middle school education and what that really means to them for their mothers to be able to say i earn the money my daughters are going to school and then how that ripples out in their communities and um you know also another village that had decided they were going to buy clean wood burning stoves and again like on the surface that also just sounds lovely but in the reality of it when you're in their hut and the walls are covered with smoke and you realize they're cooking over a hot stove, hunched over, um, breathing in the smoke all day, how hugely transformative it is to be able to re- provide a clean burning stove or education or, um, you know, all the things that this money going right to the consumer allows to create transformation in their community. And I'm just wondering if you could speak a little more to that so that we can really understand the, the greater impact of this type of decisions in how we spend our money.
1: Absolutely. Um, and I, like one of the first times that this really clicked for me I think it was the first time I I traveled to India. I think, um, and I was there for about a month. So we were we we're traveling to different um, like temples and things like that. And so it was mostly like tourism focused, but there was still like a volunteer piece of it. Um, but it wasn't until like the second week that we really got into the community. And one of the places that we went on that trip was we went to a women's co-op where there were 20 women in this very small village. Um, In some specifically Muslim communities, women aren't allowed to work um, because it requires them to go out of the house. Um, They, Because they're not able to work, they don't have control of their own finances. They have to ask for money to even go to the store. Um, So they are very limited in their own personal power. Um, These women decided to get together and they, I believe they had um, a weaving group. So they would go there, um, they would weave different like shirts and scarves to the local market, um, but they had relationships with those um, different markets to be paid fairly. Um, So they not only were able to have their own income, but they also had kind of like a, um, a savings account for everyone, for all of those women. So that way, if one of the families needed something, they had all chipped in a little bit to, you know, get a kid to to a better school, um, get somebody to the hospital if they needed it. And from like that, seeing that versus different charity things, I think some people might shy away from one, you know, like it's a nice idea to want to shop fair and, and things like that, but I can always just donate. The challenges with donating is that the money isn't always guaranteed. Um, it's not providing work. It's not allowing people to take ownership. I think if we think personally, we would much rather want to earn something or feel like we are in control of our own, of our own selves rather than consistently needing handouts. So that was something that I saw from this community. That wasn't um, necessarily fair trade, but to me, that was like the foundation of that in my learning, being able to see the importance that um, that just having that power and self-assurance that somebody can have, especially these women. Um, I think also um, mostly, yeah, again, in India, Nepal, and Vietnam, seeing how fair trade adds an additional layer to this, there obviously we're starting with that financial piece when they are getting that fair wage. But also knowing that they they are being holistically taken care of by the different um, uh, buyers that they're getting, knowing that they will um, be paid for their work. Not only are they getting a fair wage, but they will be paid. A lot of times um, communities will, Ship their stuff internationally. Never hear back from anyone. Never get paid. So with fair trade, you pay fifty percent upfront. So that way they can obviously pay for materials and things like that, but also already start take start to take care of their family. Um, a specific example with this, um, there is uh, again a community in, in Delhi who they, I mean, this organization is amazing. They're called Tara Projects, but they are one of the most holistic organizations that I had seen. Um, And in this one specific area, it is a slum of Delhi. So not only is work very hard to come by, a lot of times it's not, a lot of times where they are living is not even sanctioned by the government. So they should not be living in these areas. A lot of, uh, a couple of years ago, They something happened where it was called sealing, where the government went through and sealed all of these businesses in these areas because they couldn't control the corruption because people were not able to get jobs anywhere else. So, a lot of people lost, um, yeah, their source of income, and it was very challenging for the entire community to do anything. Well, when Tara was able to provide additional work in this area, not only where the families? It was amazing to see that the families themselves, who are making products, were talking a lot about um, like very fine crafted things. But fair trade can even be like a simple beaded bracelet. So the beads are sourced somewhere else; they're not necessarily being handcrafted, but the work um, that they're being provided and the relationship with an organization is, you know, fair trade certified. So these artisans who are making these products, they are able to get work and support their family, but they are also able to, I mean, for me, they're able to dream for their children, which is, again, one of the reasons why I loved thinking about that women's co-op that I first saw, that they wanted their their daughters to go outside of the community to, to learn, to see, to see some of these families, to see some of the mothers be like, my daughter wants to be a social worker. My daughter wants to be a doctor. And she was well on her way to do that. And her daughter never thought of why that couldn't be a possibility for her. All of that was because there are organizations, there's, you know, this WFTO that is out there that cares about these people to, to invest in them in, in a sustainable way that can elevate communities over generations. So it's not it's not a handout, it's not charity. It's us seeing how consumers can use our power, our dollar to vote for certain things, to vote for the empowerment of others. Even if we, you know, don't get that chance to see them, we know that because it has this certification, we know this story. It's a beautiful, we're getting a piece of art that is super unique and somebody's somebody else's life was able to thrive because of it.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's so, so powerful. And I know a lot of the organizations focus on working with women and they do that because of the way women tend to reinvest in their communities. And I'm sure you know the statistic, but is it 80% of what a woman earns will be reinvested in their community um, versus what, yeah. what a men's, man's, man's, wages would be. And so it really quickly begins to be able to elevate their the community. And um like you said, where they kind of have the um, the 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 money that went into a shared, Um, you know, pot for who to help whoever needed it. And it wasn't necessarily about earning it just for themselves. And I know when I've traveled so many times, you know, I met with artisans and they're saying, okay, this is the, this project, this project we've already met. Um, We have these goals to be able to sell this many more products than this project, this project and this project. And it's all about together and the community and Like for me, that's some of the thing that I feel like is so amazing because again, it's just, it's not our mindset. It's not typically how we think about um, generating income or purpose for generating income. And um, it's just, I I love being a part of that spirit and that connection. Um, So I think that's really valuable. And then the other um, thing when you were talking about like a more holistic care, not just providing employment, but. I know a lot of artisan groups that are focused on are women that have been rescued from trafficking. And that also means, um, one, allowing them to have a safe place to live and then to earn an income so they don't return to that. But they're often bringing children with them. And so they're creating educational opportunities for the children of these women who have been rescued, often um, mental health care, physical um, care. And so it really is um, so much more than a bracelet or, you know, whatever, you know, I, I know it gets said. And for people who are maybe listening to us that are really new to this conversation, you know, they maybe have never heard that before, but it's just, it's so amazing. The power of this way of shopping really has such a bigger impact than we can even imagine. And, Conversely, buying the four dollar T-shirt and voting for that system of production has a huge impact as well, um, and so I just I'm I love being able to kind of shine a light on this especially for people who might not be familiar Um, we were talking a little bit about um, labels and terminology but how how if people are like okay i'm not traveling right now so this this opportunity to maybe support artisans when i travel isn't available to me but how do they read and understand the labels on their products right now and understand how that might be serving a greater community and what are like tips they can use to align their personal values with their purchasing?
1: I actually did write a blog post about like how to read tags specifically or how to go through the process to see if you, you know, even need a product. Um, That's kind of my first thing. I don't like to shop a lot, but when I do, I want to make sure there is that value. Um, But what I do when I'm first starting to look is, you know, I'll look, I'll read the tag on the actual product see what country it's from um honestly if it is from China I do take a step back from that um if it's from anywhere else like India or Bangladesh that doesn't necessarily mean it's not um it's not a positive purchase um, but I will look for additional tags on there either on the you know physical label or like the paper label that's attached it will at, at one of those points it will usually say something, um like fair trade, uh, fair trade certified um, U.S fair trade certified, there's also one for cotton. I believe it's Otex, <laughs> which is it's organic cotton, but also it is grown sustainably and ever and the farmers and everything like that are paid fairly as well. Um, so those are kind of the biggest things that I look for when I'm trying to buy new clothes um, here at home. Honestly, most of the time when I'm buying clothes here, I like to thrift um because it to me that's like the environmental piece of it first um that it's nothing that's being like um you know like newly produced um I think one of the easiest ways to um start connecting with brands that are dedicated to this so you don't have to be very overwhelmed in a store having to check all these little tags um the good trade is a very good resource um they have a wealth of lists for, you know, everything from, from jeans to, to bras. So anything you need, um, they would probably have a list for it. You know, if you wanted to slowly start making that conversion with this, I also want to say that this is all a process and there is never a need to be perfect in it. Um, there are some times that I'm like, I desperately need white t-shirt and i will go and get it at target but i know that i will wear it multiple times um this is going to be something in my wardrobe consistently um but you know i do my best you know whenever i can it's also hard for me because i don't like shopping online um but i think that's also a really good resource because like i said if you go to the good trade you know they have links that you can immediately go um and click to i think some of the bigger and again just using the overarching term of ethical um i know made their clothes are in jeans specifically um are more on the ethical side some of their accessories i, I tend to stay away from um, but it's really just slowly starting to educate yourself um really um, taking a moment to make sure it's something that you actually need I think when we're talking about artists and products and things like that, that's more of a splurge. So you don't it's like you're connecting if you connect with it and, you know, you know, it's fair trade or, you know, you're talking to that person and things like that. You'll want to buy it. But most of the time, like with these baskets, it was something that I consciously wanted specifically to get these baskets. Um but with our everyday purchases, just taking a step, especially you know with fashion, making sure it's something that we actually need, that it's not already something in our wardrobe, seeing if there's a way that we can make it special for us. Um, if there's a specific um, textile, or you know, like do we like block printing? Do we like ecat? Um, and seeing if there are brands, there are brands out there, um, usually smaller ones, that are doing that in a fair way. Um, So it does take a little bit more research, but it, it definitely is worth it. Um, And yeah, it's all a process. No one, no one's asking anyone to be perfect in it. Um, Just be, you know, a little bit better each time.
0: Yeah. I love that because I think what does happen is a bit of paralysis that you get excited. Maybe uh, you listen to a conversation like this. You're like, Oh yeah, I'm definitely going to start making those changes in my life. And then you look and it's, you know, the day that your kid needs tennis shoes and you're like, I don't know how to buy ethically made tennis shoes and they need them tomorrow. And then you just stop because you realize you failed or, you know, you think you failed. And, um, just learning, you know, uh, simple things like I, in my house, we started with um, shampoo, lotion, conditioner, because we wanted something that was better for our bodies, but we also wanted something better for the environment. And if it was also fair trade, great. And made those swaps. And in that process, kind of opened the doors to learning about other things. And then, yeah, then looking at, okay, what are the purchase I typically do need to make seasonally? I think, especially when you have kids, you realize, you know, you're making things because they're growing, so they they need different things. Um, and so then like, can, how can I find things that they're going to need on a regular basis? Where can, can I thrift them? Do they have to be new to them? And then you just start taking ownership kind of like we were talking before and, um, the ownership in your part of the journey. And then you can start making those changes without expecting to know how to do everything on day one. Cause it's just not realistic. Um, and every, decision decision really has an impact and so even you know if it's if you choose that at one Christmas let's say any gifts that you're going to be giving that you're looking for fair trade products or like just maybe challenge yourself to get something thrifted for all your birthday presents or I mean there's so many ways and then through that process you'll start to learn more and you'll un like you said, kind of discover your values or maybe discover things you really love. And then all of a sudden um, you're curating things in your home that really mean something to you and clothes that you love because it took a lot more effort to find them and um, and you know that more about their story. And so um, I just think it it's a little bit of a daunting process and really a beautiful process. And it, it's a way you can bring maybe I think some of us when we travel it's a lot easier we are thinking about that because we are you know in a market and maybe you picked up the thing that you thought was from where you were and it does say it's made in a different country and so that sparks a thought and so you move forward and you make sure on that trip you're purchasing something in that way but We don't bring it home necessarily that practice with us and so I I love that we can kind of be thinking about it from both sides of of that and the impact can be greater when it's in our daily lives as well. Well, as we start to wrap up this conversation, I just want to, um, one, allow for people to be able to find you. I know you mentioned your blog. I would love for people to be able to share that. I will share it in the show notes, but for them to be able to look on their own. And then I also have a few kind of fun, more travel-related rapid-fire questions that often bring up some other things, too. So one, I'll let you tell people where they can find you, learn more, and then we'll we'll end with the, the,
1: the fun rapid fire. Yeah. I can be found at Chanel with love on Instagram and Facebook. I'm also launching a new, um, well, I have a product line on Etsy right now. That's self-care. It's either handmade by me um, or fair trade. All ingredients are ethical. Um, And I'm launching my own website um, on March 21st. So look out for that. Um, But yeah, that's where you can
0: find me. Um, Well, to bring in the travel to this, um, what is your favorite book, movie, uh, book or movie that offers you a little bit of an escape or inspires you to adventure?
1: Okay. I really love um, The Holiday. Uh, I think I watch that several times a year. It's usually like when I'm sad and I just need some self-love, but it makes me feel like I can do anything. It makes me excited to travel. Um, And I would love to do Home Switch at some point. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that would be really, really fun. And it would be fun for the other, uh, I think for the other people too, to think about where they're coming from and stepping into mm-hmm. your life. Um, what is always in your suitcase or your backpack?
1: Um, Ooh, I have some super comfortable socks, um, that I always, I have it with me. Like whenever I'm on the plane, cause I, I love traveling, but I'm very scared of flying still. So I put on those socks and they make me feel very comfortable, um, and yeah, I take them everywhere with me.
0: Um, uh, what has been your favorite destination you've traveled to?
1: Okay. Yeah. I love going to India. I know I talked about it during this whole conversation. It's my favorite place, but I think like my favorite place to vacation to, and I was very sad I couldn't do last year is Vietnam. I went to Hanoi for about a week, but I would love to go to Sa Pao, which is where a lot of arsons are. And then, um, more Southern, uh, Vietnam as well.
0: Where do you still long to visit, I guess, besides what you just said?
1: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So besides Vietnam, um, a place that I've never been before that I really want to, I really want to go to Bali. um, That I think that would be so beautiful. And even when I'm on vacation, I'm still like, yeah, but can we like go see some artisans? So I would love to go and, you know, like see those crafts made up close in person and, and, and make connections there.
0: Uh, Before you go, just let me know. (laughs) Um, let's see, what do you eat that immediately connects you to a place that you've been?
1: Ooh, okay. Um, I love feijoada, which is, um, a dish in Brazil from Brazil. It's, it's like made at the end of the week. And I hope I'm like saying this correctly, but it's a meal made at the end of the week. And it's kind of like the leftovers of all other meals, like the different parts of like meat that's still left on the bone. They put it with black beans Um, And then there's a special kind of flour that they sprinkle on top. The rice is delicious. It's got collard greens. um, And then they put a cute little uh, orange slice on the side. So I just love how colorful and flavorful it is. I try to make it myself. It's not the same, but I do my best. Um, And then also in Brazil, you have to have a caipirinha with it, which is uh, made with cachaca, which is just straight up rum, sugar, and lime juice. Um, So, I want to live
0: it. <laughs> Who was the person that inspired or encouraged you to set out and explore the world?
1: Ooh, I think I, um, I'm one of the first people in my family actually to travel internationally, but my dad's, uh, my grandpa, on my dad's side, he loved to travel, um, throughout the U S especially to learn like our family history. Um, and when I was four, I would actually go back and forth between my two sets of grandparents um, to go to a different state. So I've been to, I don't remember, but I've been to every um, continental state in the U.S. because they would have these battles with me in the summer. So I think that gave me kind of that travel bug. But I think even knowing my mom wanted to like have all these travel experiences. And she never really got the chance to when I was 17. I I just got so antsy. And I was like, you guys got to let me out of (laughs) here. Like I paid for my own passport. I like made this whole plan of how I was gonna like pay them back for the flight. I was like, I just have to go because I know I need that. So I think it was yeah, like a resting travel bug for my grandparents mixed with like this adventurous side of my mom.
0: I love that because a lot of people who are really travelers that travel internationally haven't been everywhere in the U.S. and we miss it. So I love that you had that foundation and then also uh, that call to travel because I think sometimes people hear it and they feel like they shouldn't do it or can't do it. And I love that you were just like, yes, that you just said yes to it. And it really created and shaped your whole future like it was it was so necessary that you answered that. So I, that's so exciting. (laughs) Um, The last one is if you could take an adventure with one person, um, fictional or real, past or alive, who would it be? What? Oh my goodness,
1: (laughs) I need all the time for this. No, I think I would, um, so my mom passed away a few years ago but she always wanted to go and she did get a chance to go to Europe but she always wanted to go to Australia and I would love to see her in Australia because it's not like she is very, she wasn't prim and proper or anything, but I'm like, Australia is just hot and dry. And I just want to see her interact with the space and like, see, like, see her unleash, uh, because <laughs> I just like, I would imagine that she would want to like spend all of her time on the beach. I'm like, no, we're going to go try to find a kangaroo so
0: (laughs) that's what I would do yeah I feel like we're heading into the scariest part of the country because it's just necessary Um, yeah well thank you so much I feel like this was such a really valuable conversation and something that pertains so importantly to travel and to our daily lives and so I I love being able to to share that and then also be able to just bring that powerful part of travel that you and I both love so much with connecting with artisans and learning about culture in that way so um, it was really beautiful and I look forward to being able to bring more of this conversation in the future
1: well thank you and it was so much fun and I'm glad we're able to do it and even learn about your experiences as well this was a joy (laughs) thank you so
0: much Thank you for listening to Soul of Travel. I hope you enjoyed the journey. If this sounds like your community, welcome. I'm so happy to connect with you. You can find more about the ways you can be a part of the Soul of Travel and Lotus Sojourn community at www.lotussojourns.com. Here you can find out more about Soul of Travel and my guests. You can also find the Lotus Sojourns I Guide for Women, as well as my current book, Sojourn, offering an opportunity to explore your heart, mind, and the world through the pages of books specially selected to create a unique journey. You can find me on Facebook at Lotus Sojourns and join our community, the Lotus Sojourns Collective, or follow me on Instagram, either at Lotus Sojourns or Soul of Travel Podcast. Join the Lotus Sojourn's mailing list. I look forward to getting to know you and hopefully hear your story.